In this episode, I'm going to be chatting to Shobhan Banerjee of the Communist Party of India about the massive general strike and the farmers' situation and Narendra Modi's fascist government and its pro-colonial roots, which has many similarities to Ireland. I also speak to activist Eamon Crudden about the development of our fledgling fascist movement here in Ireland and the urgency to act now before we end up in a situation like India where the far right are in power. for the global working class movement in 2020 was the Indian farmer strike. To discuss this and Narendra Modi's fascist government, my guest is President of the All India Students Federation, a member of the National Council of the Communist Party of India and Editor-in-Chief of the International Magazine, which a link can be found for in the description. Shivam Banerjee, thanks for taking our call and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Just to give a bit of background to the farmer's strike. Can you give us a bit of background to uh, it? Because Irish people mightn't be too familiar with the ins and outs of it. Yes, if we come to the background, first of all, the government, we consider this BJP government, the Modi government as a fascist government. And the way they are operating and they are trying to implementing new laws and passing the bills, the way is fascistic. The approach is fascistic. Why I am telling so? Uh, look, first of all, this 2020 was a year of pandemic and the country gave a call of the largest lockdown in the 24th March 2020 without any plan, without any preparation, without considering the situation of the poorer section of the country, without considering the situation of the migrant laborers. Consider without considering the situation of the poor farmers, the government called for a sudden lockdown. And the all the more than 90% of the population of India who belongs to the uh, lower poverty level, they faced a tremendous economic crisis. There was a crisis for food. They faced tremendous trouble uh, to get uh, shelter. So in this crisis situation, the government did nothing for these people. But what they did, they did, they passed some, uh, undemocratically, they passed some laws. They passed some bills and they implemented some laws bypassing the parliament. You all might have known that India has a uh, two-tier parliament. One is uh, Lok Sabha, one is known as Lok Sabha. And uh, which is uh, called the lower house of parliament, and the another is Rajya Sabha, which is called the upper house of parliament. So once a government want to pass a bill, they must discuss it in in the parliament, but without any proper discussion in the parliament and undermining the federal structure of India, undermining the federal structure of India, they just implemented some bills. One is national education policy for the students. One is the anti-farmer laws 
and the another is anti labor code and when this anti farmer law was passed then this massive farmers movement erupted in the country so uh, when they tried to place the bill or they just proposed the bill since then movement by the farmers started in india in different parts of the country and when this bill was implemented and this bill was implemented as a law then this movement take a high take a huge high in the country and farmers from the punjab and haryana province the punjab and haryana province are the border state of our uh, central capital new delhi so from the millions of farmers from these two province mainly from punjab and haryana which two are the nearer state of delhi they started to march on towards delhi i can tell you that 1 lakhs 1 lakh means 100000 of tractor comprising wow. of more than a million of farmers they marched towards the delhi border on 27th november it is already one month and three days 27th november when this bill was implemented as the anti farmer laws those million of farmers along with almost a 100000 tractors tractors are the machine with which the uh, farmers cultivate their land so along with those uh, 100000 uh, tractor more than a million of farmers marched towards new delhi and since 27 november it is almost one month and three days they are staying at the delhi border and the whole national capital of india is blocked no car no uh, uh, large vehicles neither can enter new delhi through the road neither can exit new delhi through the road the whole national capital of our country is blocked from each side and the latest situation this was the background i think i think uh, you asked about the yeah. background so this is the background if modi's government anti farmer laws are passed what what consequences would it have on the on the indian farmer population i believe 50% of indian people rely on farming that's their job what uh, consequences would it have for them if, if these laws are passed these neoliberal actually, laws actually the main situation is the farmers produces the vegetables they produces the food but they can't sell it by their own so that as you know that the situation is in, in this during this lockdown period every sector every economic sector failed the only one sector that uh, production was increased during this lockdown that was the farming sector so this uh, government which only wants to uh, make the better economic situation for the ambanis and adanis the major capitalist of the country so this modi government works for this uh, ambani adani like capitalists of the country so if this anti farmer laws will be implemented then the uh, right of the farmer to sell their own developed own produced food will be undermined and the profit the sector this uh, agricultural sector will be uh, in total control of this large capitalist this agriculture sector will also come under the absolute control of this large capitalist 
so uh, the capitalist will uh, get profit uh, will uh, pro profit million of rupees from the farmers from the agricultural sector but the economic situations of the farmers will get more poorer more poorer and they will not be able to sell their uh, own produced uh, vegetables and fruits to directly to the market and even in this bill they are and mention that the farmers the right of the farmer to uh, go to the judiciary system to launch a complaint uh, to the judiciary system if he or she feels that he is not getting the proper value for his production so that was his right any farmer could go to the court or judiciary could go to appeal to the judiciary system but in this law they are right to move for the judiciary system if they feel that they are being uh, they are being uh, exploited uh, oppressed exploited yes uh, they are being exploited so that right also being snatched in this bill in this law so the, the economic on they will be not able to sell their product and their economic condition will fall down in uh, exponentially so basically what's happening they don't have um there's no price control on what they're getting it's open to the market and what you have it will be absolutely it will be open to the market and it will be totally the agricultural sector will also be controlled by the large capitalist of india so it's either get big or get lost basically that's what they're telling the farmers yes right. yeah. has modi B bjp have they capitulated a bit because i mean we, we can't comprehend in ireland we don't have that population we've a, there's i think on the whole island there's 6 million people but 250 million people a national strike of that magnitude surely like modi's government has to be going oh hold on a minute here in ireland actually we're this hasn't really been reported too much because the, the irish government and Western governments around the world wouldn't want people getting ideas of uh, how to fight the market system. Um, but is Modi's government are they in talks? Or are they is are they going to capitulate, or is this going to be an ongoing? You want to know the present situation? The present situation, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. The thing is that they are constantly they are staying. These millions of people constantly staying for thirty three days. The government, this Modi government, tried to sit on the table to discuss with the farmer leaders, but they are not yet ready to withdraw these bills, withdraw these anti-farmer laws. The farmers have a, uh, they, they are now, uh, initially, Modi government told that we are going to, the laws will be implemented and we are not going to uh, discuss anything. And we are not going to do any modification or do any amendment in that farmer, farm, anti-farmer laws. But after the protest started and the farmers started to uh, march on to Delhi and started to stay at the Delhi border, after a few days, government, Modi government told that, yes, we want to sit with the farmer leaders and we want to sit, uh, please come to uh, visit uh, the agricultural minister and please uh, talk to the Home Minister, if you want, and we are ready to discuss. So that was initially the Modi government told, but they told that they were not ready to amend anything in that laws. But now the situation is now they are already ready to amend these laws. Now the stand of the Modi government is that we are ready 
to amend these laws but we will not withdraw the laws completely but the leadership of these farmer organizations are strict to their point that modi government must completely withdraw these three anti farmer laws the i would like to add just one uh, yeah, political situation and mobilization with that uh, you all know that as i told earlier that mainly the farmers of punjab and haryana uh, moved and marched on to the delhi border but for last 3 4 days three more three four more provinces like maharashtra like uttar pradesh like rajasthan so the farmers of these surrounding states are also started to march towards delhi in thousands and uh, hundred of thousands in number so the as the day is passing by the number uh, at the delhi border is not decreasing but it is increasing and if the way uh, the farmers from different states different provinces have started to march on to delhi uh, within 3 4 days there will be almost 2 million of farmers who will be present at the delhi border brilliant So basically, the movement's growing for the farmers. But you also mentioned anti-labor laws as well. Could you give us a bit of background into the anti-labor laws that they introduced as well? Comrade, the anti-labor laws are the uh, continuous attempt of this BJP government. This is not a uh, sudden events. This is not a sudden events. I just mentioned that anti-labor courts. Actually, the government is trying to uh, make the right. of the labor trying to snatch the right of the labor as much as possible with each passing days this modi government came into the power in 2014 and they tried to implement one two new anti labor courts they have that the main target of this anti labor courts is that uh, there will be no uh, minimum uh, wages system like as you all know that uh, the left organizations of india they always demanded that any labor they may be unskilled or semi skilled a government must provide at least 18000 indian rupees per month and for semi skilled it should be around 25000 per month and if the labor is skilled then it should be at least 35000 per month this is the continuous demand of all the central trade unions and uh, as you just talked about the uh, nationwide general strike called by the uh, trade unions on 26th of november which was undoubtedly the largest uh, general strike by the call of the trade unions and by the call of the labors so that was also with that demand that every unskilled labor also must get at least 18000 rupees per month and their family and they must get some economic security also and they must get some job security also these were the demands but what this government is doing that from 2014 they are trying to implement one after one anti labor laws to snatch the basic rights of the labors and they are trying to uh, cutel they are trying to cutel the permanent labors in each uh, private sectors and government sectors and they are trying through this uh, anti labor laws they are trying to make space make space for the temporary labors who will not be permanent in any day so they it will be the hand of the capitalist they can recruit them any day and they and they can sack them any any day so no so, uh, against this yes so against this approaches of government this general strike was called and these are the attempts of the government 
to snatch the basic rights of the farmers of the laborers so basically they're getting rid of any labor laws the bjp they took over from the congress party those labor laws were from that time and the bjp can we just maybe we should just go into the bjp and and their political philosophy how did modi end up in government how did such a far right party end up in in government if you consider all the national political parties of india presently there are uh, seven national parties in india one is indian national congress one is bjp one is cpi one is cpm and the other three are uh, like uh, samajwadi party like uh, rjd and ncp these are the national parties but there is a basic difference there is a basic difference with bjp and all other national parties and regional parties in india the difference is the basic difference is bjp is a political face is a uh, bjp is a face for the electoral politics bjp is a face for electoral politics in india but what is the actual platform behind bjp what is the actual organization behind bjp that is rss so rashtriya swayamsevak sangh so what is that rss in india communist party of india cpi was formed in 1925 and at the same year in 1925 this rss was formed and this rss is the only organization that is that uh, injected that injected that religious hindutva fundamentalist religious politics in india they are the first force in terms of uh, indian politics they are the only force that injected the religious politics of hindutva and they want to make our nation our country india into a hindu nation from the beginning it was their target as you all know that india is known to the world for being a secular country and being a country for Uh, equal rights for each religion and each caste but this bjp and this bjp which is the face of this rss their ideology is to implement this uh, hindutva politics in the country and to make our country our nation a hindu country hindu nation and they were they were a terrorist organization i should tell you because if you see the history of indian politics this rss has been banned by the indian government for three times and what were the reason that this rss was banned in india first time in 1948 india got freedom in 1947 and this rss was banned in 1948 for the reason of murdering for the murder of mahatma gandhi you all know that yeah. uh, how respectful person uh, mohandas karamchand gandhi mahatma gandhi was in indian politics so the mahatma gandhi who is known by many who is considered by many as the father of nation that father of nation mahatma gandhi was murdered by a rss guy deep so rss people yeah. uh, nathuram godse this rss people nathuram godse murdered mahatma gandhi and for that reason this rss was banned from indian politics first time in 1948 after that also twice they have been banned so this type of uh, terrorist organization Uh, who want to establish the religious fundamentalist hindutva politics in indian soil they have come into the power bjp is in the power means rss is in the power 
the every top leadership of bjp has come from rss and the total control of this government is in the hand of rss so that's why the situation is uh, marching towards this and this is the background of bjp the violence that rss to be involved they're still involved in violence their ideology too actually i, I was reading that it comes from european fascism their ideology they looked upon um germany and italy as they, uh, they, they are many similarity if you uh, go through the ideological stand there are uh, i will not tell that these are same but there are similarity they this uh, they are uh, this fascism and nazism and this rss philosophy is similar and also major most of these bjp leaders and rss leaders they openly tell they openly say that hitler is their idol so you can understand that uh, their ideology is quite similar to the ideology of fascism and nazism but they want to try to implement that fascism in a different way in india with perspective to india because in india it is such it is uh, undoubtedly a nation with uh, almost uh, more than 20 religion is present in india in good number there are hundreds of tribes there are hundred of tribes present in india and there are uh, more than 100 languages are spoken in india so it is a diverse uh, nation and there are if you move from uh, 50 kilometers if you uh, india is a large country if you move 50 kilometers from one space to another space you will find diversity you will find diversity in language you will find diversity in culture you will find diversity in caste you will find diversity in religion so it is india is a diverse nation so in the perspective of this diversity bjp is trying to implement this fascism through through the uh, politics of religious polarization one of the things that i came across when i was reading on india they brought in the citizens amendment act which kind of that is also that is citizenship amendment act is also part of this uh, polarization politics because they are telling that everyone uh, hindus are secured they don't need to worry the christians are secured they don't need to worry but only the muslim people only the people who belong to who follow the islam religion islam religion they are under serious concern and they need produce they need produce their uh, uh, proof of being a residents of india for uh, last 30 years and etc etc so this is nothing this is just to uh, create more polarization this is to make the uh, give a message to the hindus that we want to move uh, this nation only for the hindus and we are one we we are trying hard to kick out these muslims from the country so this was also a attempt to uh, make a polarization and not only this was a attack i must tell you that this uh, citizenship amendment act was not only the attack on the minority religious people not only not only the attack on the religion based minority but it was also an attack to the poorer section of the country because you know that the common people the poor people the farmers the daily uh, wage daily based workers they can't uh, they don't have their address proof or they can't produce their residential proof of last 30 years or last 40 years 
the poor people of india who don't know that if they have been sacked from their job whether they will get food for the next day or not how yes. they will manage food and shelter for their family for the next day it is impossible to expect from them that they will produce their residential proof of last 40 years so this is a attack uh, on the religious minority and this is a attack on the economically background section well, and on, this is a tendency to more polarize the uh, country well there's two things when you look at that they murdered gandhi they're now the nationalist party or say they're the nationalist party but they would have kind of come from the the colonial british mindset really would uh, they you you want to ask about uh, congress indian national congress yeah okay uh, if you could just sorry. elaborate on that a bit more on the on the rss when they start off and congress as well the two different ideologies that you've gone into that but would the rss would they be more i suppose from the uh, the colonial mindset they'd be kind of fascist but they would have been kind of more pro british as well there seem to be re rewriting history and they've got uh, bagat singh who was a sikh communist now made him a hindu nationalist they, they've even doctored photos and stuff of him as well their origins though it comes from the fascist origins but there's also a bit of colonial mindset in in their thinking as well would uh, that be right actually actually indian national congress was formed in 1885 during the british era 1885 1885 indian national congress was formed actually indian national congress was formed not as a political party but it was formed as a political platform to defeat and dethrone the british from india so initially the socialist the communist they all were in part of that platform which was known as indian national congress but in 1925 after 40 years of the formation of a indian national congress as i told earlier that communist party of india was formed as well as rss was formed and hindu mahasabha was formed hindu mahasabha is a ideologically allied force to rss so when that during that period of 1925 to 1947 all the political parties including indian national congress including the communist party of india including the uh, socialist party every political party uh, fought for the liberation of india for the freedom of india but the only exception was this rss from the first day of uh, their uh, foundation the rss leadership clearly mentioned their stand that they are not against the britishers as you mentioned that they are not against the britishers they will uh, even they will help the britishers and if you go through the history of indian freedom struggle you will find no rss leadership no rss member who contributed anything in indian freedom struggle but you will find them in helping the british they you will find them to betray to betray against the freedom fighters hmm. so this was the, the history of uh, rss before independence that's why that's why they are trying to rewrite the history because we all know that if you if a political platform or political party need to gain acceptability among the people so they uh, must uh, have a uh, glorious history 
but the history of rss is so simple the history the real history of rss before independence and after independence is so simple that they can't share that that's why they are trying to rewrite the history and they are trying to use that they are trying to use the communist revolutionaries the socialist revolutionaries uh, they are trying to use their name to get some fame and to get some mileage and they are also trying to rewrite the history for the same with the same intention crazy stuff i, I think that happens with all kind of colonial um countries that happened in ireland as well we had a kind of a neo-colonial government which was very pro-british after they left but in relation to today's terms there is violence against activists communists and socialists and minorities how prevalent is it i believe it's more prevalent in the north north of india than the south but how prevalent is it how much how much how violent are they I've been following the, the the Communist Party of India's uh, Facebook page and various other social media. Actually, you all know that uh, when British uh, Britishers were in India, they used the sedition charges to suppress the voice of the people. And these BJP RSS, who were the friends and the allies of Britishers in India, they are trying to implement the same thing. When you all know that, I think you just mentioned about the universities of uh, Northern India also, you, I must tell that you all have heard about the Jawaharlal Nehru University, which is the uh, world's one of the top university and India's uh, the finest top university in India. So, uh, this Jawaharlal Nehru University, this Hyderabad Central University or the Jamia Millia University, these are the top universities and these students raises question, these stud uh, students of these universities raise question against this uh, fascistic, undemocratic approach of this RSS BJP. And to suppress their voice, to suppress the voice of the students, to suppress the voice of the common people, even to suppress the voice of the workers of the country, they use the sedition charge. That means if you are opposing any uh, decision of the government, that means you are anti-national. This anti-national term is being used by this BJP like that was not been used ever before in our country. If you are against the government, if you are questioning the policies of the government, then you are anti-national, then government will use sedition charge, sedition charge and uh, put you behind the bar. So this is the approach of the government. How long would you, could you end up behind bars on the sedition, being anti-national, so to speak? How, how long could you end up there no, indefinitely? If, if if large if uh, large movements is erupted if large movement is erupted then government will uh, make them free but if uh, someone has been arrested who is not so familiar person and not so famous in the country and people are not aware about his arrest then he will be behind the bar for years uh, i think uh, you have you may have heard about one aisf uh, I am, I represent AISF. I am presently the national president of AISF. One of our AISF leader uh, named as Kanaya Kumar. Uh, I think you may have heard about his name. Uh, he, along with some of the JNU leaders, were put behind the bar uh, in citizen churches. So against that, against that arrest, there was a huge, massive nationwide protest. Massive nationwide protest and all the opposition parties 
all the opposition parties moved to unitedly so that's why those student leaders were made free by the bjp government but there are more than hundreds of protesters in the country who are uh, who have been uh, uh, imposed sedition charged against them who are not so popular in the country who don't have any strong political background like uh, don't have political support of congress or cpi like the major political forces they will be they are already behind the bar and they will have to stay behind the bar for years until the bjp has been dethroned from the power and how close there's been 250 million which is during of it's just a figure that you just can't really fathom i think that's the biggest strike that's ever been ever ever on any country um but how close it must be fairly close now that bjp support is waning now at this stage do you see that they will be got rid of in the next uh, next few years anyway actually there were uh, back to back general strikes one was that 26 november general strike that was called by the all central trade unions of india under the leadership of the left trade unions and the second strike was called by the farmer organizations on 8th december and both this back to back general strike called within two weeks were massive successful and uh, in uh, both this general strike more than 250 million people as you told participated so this proves that uh, the general people have a huge amount of anger in their mind against this bjp government but i think more than this two general strike this present farmer movement has destabilized the bjp government they are fearing like they didn't do never before they are really uh, now trying to come to a settlement as i told earlier that they have already uh, bowed down to the movement of the farmers and they have already started to tell that yes we are agree to uh, amend those farmers law come sit with us we are ready to amend those anti farmer laws but the farmers are pressurizing that no amendment we want complete withdrawal but the way the movement is going on i and the government is destabilized uh, through this movement i think uh, within 7 or 10 days or within near future the government must have to withdraw this anti farmer bills and the situation of the government was not the, so bad uh, in the last 6 years like this so i think uh, they are seriously the bjp government is uh, uh, being destabilized and if any provincial election general assembly election will be held in near future every provincial election bjp will lost because but one thing i can tell you one thing is there that the general election for the parliament for the central government it is uh, uh, till it is 4 years away because last year in 2019 a uh, may the general election for the government of india was uh, elected was happened so uh, the next election is scheduled on 2024 so it is almost 4 years from now so i can tell that what happened in 2024 but there are some provincial general assembly elections in some states of india in 2021 i can assure you that all the provincial election bjp will lose Well, that's a bit of good news, but four years of suffering is quite a long time. 
I was reading as yeah. well that there's a lot of US money floods into India to the BJP as well. Uh, have you any figures on how much money, how much backing they have from US uh, I money? Think, uh, I think uh, you know about the tradition of India. India always, the government of India always took non-allied sand in the United Nations. It is it, the sand of India was well acclaimed by the whole world. But when BJP came into the power, that stand suddenly changed. In respective, with respective of the world politics, the stand of Indian government suddenly changed when this Modi government came into the power. How? You all know that if we talk about the struggle of Palestinian people, India was a country, all the Indian, all the government of India always stood strong for the people of Palestine. India was always a strong supporter of Yasir Arafat in Palestine. And India was always against Israel and US imperialism. That is known to the world. But when Modi came into the power in 2014, within one year, within one year, Modi announced that India, uh, US and Israel, they are the natural allies and we are the best friends. And you all know that how many times Modi went to visit Trump and Netanyahu. So that is a huge change of international politics thus in the stand of India when this BJP came into the power under the Modi leadership. And uh, specifically the Trump, Donald Trump specifically, I can tell you that the approach of Donald Trump was also fascist and this Modi is also fascist. So these two fascist uh, leader became a good friend of each other and undoubtedly under the leadership of Trump, US supported Modi with a huge amount of economic and huge amount of every other help, even I think during election also. But as now Trump has been dethroned from the uh, power of US, I think uh, there will be some change with the support of US towards Modi. Because I think the way Trump used to look at Modi, I think that that approach will be changed after Biden have come into the power. I hope so. Well, I hope so too. With regard to the Communist Party of India, I know it's the biggest, it is the biggest party, uh, Communist Party in the world, isn't it? Uh, but has there been a resurgence around the um, farmers' strike at the minute and what's going on in India at the minute? Has there uh, yes, there have been some resurgence in uh, the left movement, not only in India. If you see the 2020, it was really a year of resistance throughout the world, whether it is in Latin America, whether it is in Chile or Bolivia, whether it is in Europe, whether it is in Middle East or whether it is in uh, India or Southeast Asian countries. India is not an exception. Uh, this 2020 was a, a year of resistance in India also because this, uh, during this pandemic era or during this COVID-19 era, the government just refused to take the responsibility of the uh, poor citizen of the country. They did not take up the responsibility to arrange food for the people. They did not take up the responsibility to arrange shelter for the people, not for the medicine of the people. But it was the communist parties and it was the mass organization of communist party. I can tell you that my organization, AISF, AISF organized uh, more than 1,000 
फ्री वेजिटेबल मार्केट रिलीफ किचन कम्युनिटी किचन ऑल ओवर द इंडिया एंड कम्युनिस्ट पार्टी ऑफ इंडिया ऑल्सो अरेन्ज मोर देन थाउजेंड दिस काइंड ऑफ फ्री वेजिटेबल मार्केट फ्री फ्रूट मार्केट एंड द कम्युनिटी किचन ऑल ओवर द इंडिया सो वी द कम्युनिस्ट एंड द लेफ्ट वर्कर्स वी प्रोवाइडेड फूड वी प्रोवाइडेड मेडिसिन वी प्रोवाइडेड सेल्टर टू द एफेक्टेड पीपल and the government just refused to take up any responsibility and they just failed to provide the basic uh, medical facility basic health facility to its people so that's why it was the start of the left resurgence because the working class because the working class clearly understood that this kind of capitalist imperialist and this fascist government will not stand behind them when they will require most but it is the left parties it is the communist parties who will stand behind them that's why that's why the working class uh, after this lockdown period was over this working class started to move towards this left parties and maybe this is not a coincidence that uh, this working class has been united and uh, 250 million uh, people uh, came on to the road to make success of this general strike this is not a coincidence the background of this lockdown time the way the communist parties stood behind the working class the way the left parties and communist parties took the responsibility of the working class people and their family that's why this working class and farmers are trying to come on to the road with the call of the communist parties and the communist farmer organization it just came into my head now covid-19 the cases in uh, i know this is a bit off and we did we didn't plan to discuss this but how has it affected india as a whole covid-19 with deaths and uh, you uh, you can check that uh, uh, initially uh, in india was india was among those countries where the case was reported the first case then the second case then the third case were reported a little bit late compared to other countries but but on 24th march the sudden lockdown was announced and after that the during the month of may and june the number of affected uh, patient the number of affected population increased in a exponential way and within two months india reached to the top 3 position and after some days india reached to the top reached to the top 2 position in terms of uh, affected individuals so undoubtedly uh, after usa uh, india was the second country and uh, for a long time uh, usa india and brazil these three were the top three countries in terms of uh, covid-19 affected people and uh, in terms of the death occurred due to covid-19 and uh, just uh, one uh, uh, <laughs> example of coincidence or without whether you call it coincidence or without you try to find out some logic behind this you uh, uh, the viewer can uh, see that uh, usa was at the number 1 position india was at the number 2 position and brazil was at the number 3 position in terms of covid yeah. affected population That's... and usa was governed by the trump who is fascist yeah bizarro governed by the modi modi who is fascist and brazil is also governed by the bolsonaro who is also fascist yeah. so 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 this is a this is an example that this fascist and the uh, fun, religious fundamentalist force 
who don't believe in science and logic but who believe in religious prejudices you can see that this trump told earlier that no need to wear mask okay we don't believe in who uh, we don't believe in world health organization the modi the modi told in india that no need to go to hospital you just <laughs> rang a bell in your uh, terrace you just rang a bell in your terrace with the sound of that bell corona will go away from the country uh-huh. <laughs> and also bolsonaro also bolsonaro bolsonaro told that we are not uh, practicing the religious habit we have uh, the, our people is not practicing the religious uh, practice in proper way that's why corona is increasing in my country so these three uh, leader who are illogical who are unscientific who uh, in spite of believing in science and logic they believe in religious prejudice and they believe in fascistic approach they carry the fascistic approach so these three worst leader of the country uh, has ruled these three countries and these three countries were top of the list in terms of covid affected population well look at we we be following the united states we here have a type of a an affinity with the United States here with the Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, the right-wing parties are in power here and we, we're in another lockdown here again. But we'll just finish up, um, Chauvin. You've re- released a new magazine recently, The International. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. What- yes, comrade. So that is in the present situation. We felt, we felt that uh, there is an urgent requirement of an international political magazine, a professional international magazine for the left of the world, for the communist of the world in the present situation. As I told that this was a year of resistance, this was a year of progressive left communist movement of the world. But the capitalist media, the capitalist magazines, the imperialist media house, they will not highlight the left movement of the world. So we need an exclusive professional left magazine for the to highlight the world communist movement to highlight the world left movement so with that need and with that understanding from october we have started this journey this new venture of this the international magazine so the international is a media platform is a news platform with clearly left and communist ideological inclination and we are strongly dedicated to strengthen the voice of the oppressed people across the globe and so we have tried this was a uh, initiation not only from any specific country or any specific part of the globe in true sense it is a initiation it is a global initiation and we have a editorial board comprising of the communist leaders comprising of the youth leaders youth communist leaders comprising of the marxist intellectuals from each part of the world we have members from many countries of latin america we have editorial board members from many countries of europe from australia from asia even from middle east so with this venture from this already three edition has been published on 15th of october 15th of november and 15th of december and we are trying to highlight the world communist movement world left movement as much as possible through this media platform through this political magazine 
Well, I was just having a look at it there myself, and it is a great magazine. I was looking at some of the articles, and indeed, I looked at one article here when I was researching for this. Uh, we'll be putting a link in the description of, of this podcast here for people that can, uh, so you can click on it and subscribe to it. But Comrade Chauvin, thanks very much for that. That was very insightful. Thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now, I maintain that only under a socialist reorganization of society can we even begin to deal with these basic material problems. To say nothing of eradicating the individualistic, competitive, racist mentality of the people in this country. Only after I feel a redistribution of the wealth in this country, only after we eradicate the exploitation of We're going to continue our look at the far right. In this the second segment, we'll be looking at our homegrown fascists here. I have on the line with me activist Eamon Corden, who has been tackling the far right for a number of years here. Welcome to the podcast, Eamon. Thanks very much, Danny. No, no bother at all. Now, over the last, I suppose, this far right phenomenon, you had a few headers around. You had Justin Barrett about. He's been around for quite a while. You had youth defence and that, but I must have fell asleep for a few years or something, because the next thing they're really organised is a load of groups of them. They're burning down direct provision centres, and how did it develop? How did it develop so fast here in Ireland? Yeah, um, so, um, Danny, I've been uh, kind of following their activities for two years in a lot of detail. Uh, I started, uh, or I became extremely aware of them because... I live close enough to Ruski. I live in uh, North Roscommon. Ruski is just really over the road from us in Leitrim. And uh, I, I became very aware of them when there were two arson attempts on a hotel in Ruski that was intended to be a direct provision uh, centre. Uh, previous to Ruski, though I wouldn't have been really aware of this at the time, uh, they had been active in Donegal. And in the immediate aftermath of them be- visiting and being active in Donegal, a hotel there, in late uh, 2018, that was intended as a direct provision centre, and it was subject to a very serious arson attack. So it's it's at that point that I became, you know, where I got involved, I guess, in opposing them, uh, particularly around Ruski, where they tried to hijack the whole narrative and the whole thing. Before that, I was not very aware of them. The last time I would have been aware was quite a few years ago when uh, a group called Pegida tried to set up a branch of Pegida in Dublin, and they were run off the streets by anti-fascists, basically, at that time. Now, the question you're asking me, where did they come from, and uh, why was did it suddenly appear like there was lots of them, and so on? I think this, into the far right, is where the anti-choice, the younger anti-choice brigade went when they lost uh, the referendum on abortion. I think it was a combination of that loss and the referendum radicalised them, in a combination of that and the fact that the far right was growing in the UK and particularly in America at the time and getting a lot of attention, it became like a model for them. And there were, like even at the point of that incident in Donegal, where I said they were active there before the arson attack on the hotel there, like a, a woman called Lauren Southern, who was a very, very big face in the international American far right, American alt-right, I guess, as they were terming themselves at that time. She was actually there with Rowan Croft 
in the immediate run-up to the aftermath, or in the immediate run-up to the arson attack on that hotel in Donegal. I don't mean in the hours previously, I mean in the days previously. So, you know, to me, that's kind of where this came from, the the, the hard right Catholics radicalized, the younger ones especially, and went to the far right and saw the alt-right in the United States as a model for them. There seems to be a few different factions of them. You've got the the Irish Freedom Party, Justin Barrett's crowd as well, and you'd also have Aintu, which I suppose they're not as uh, economically they're not as they're not to the right uh, as far as as the other yeah. groups. But each one of those would have had a different uh, would have came out of a different what you call well. That? I think that that's easy to assume, Danny, that they're very different. You know, the ones that I would say are the main ones now are the National Party, obviously, and a lot of the real headbangers you see online, the patriots, the militant ones, the ones who threaten and dox people and harass people and abuse people and so on. A lot of them are National Party heads. That's Justin Barrett is their leader. So that's one element of them. Another element that tries, they're trying to act like a mainstream party and they're trying to pull the wool over pe- people's eyes and they're trying to kind of elbow their way into respectability is the Irish Freedom Party, which is, is that the leader of that party is a guy called Herman Kelly, who works, or at least worked for, I think still works for Nigel Farage. He certainly worked for Nigel Farage uh, when he was uh, over in Europe, elected over in Europe. Uh, the Irish Freedom Party, the other key person in that, I guess, the chair is Professor Del- Dolores Cahill of UCD, who's now a notorious, uh, notorious pandemic conspiracy theory maniac quack. So that's a, that's a second group. The third group is Anti-Corruption Ireland, which is basically a vehicle for Gemma O'Doherty and John Waters at this stage, but have a kind of raggle taggle, uh, following in Dublin and they mix it up. They mixed it up, though they're, kind of stopping now because it's not uh, it's it, it, people kind of understand what it is these days but we're mixing it up with the whole Q and on kind of stuff big time over the last year and then finally you have the real the, the guy from Donny Gall and his organisation his name is Niall McConnell his organisation is called Shield and the Heron and they are real militant free Vatican II Catholic nationalist fascist so you've got those four groups and then you've got all the, the you've got particularly a very strong online presence of a lot of very very uh, twisted individuals who are following in their, those groups' wake, who are doing a lot of the what I think is the most dangerous thing they do. They're doing a lot of the very organised, very militant use of social media, trying to intervene in social conversations and push those social conversations in the way that they want, which is anti-immigrant, anti-anyone who's not white, anti-anyone who's not Catholic, anti-anyone who's not straight, you know? So, uh, but I think it's a mistake to think that these are all very separate things. Uh, I find, having watched them over two years, that when, when they turn, when they, when they jump on an issue, all of those groups jump on the issue at once. They're very coordinated, actually, even though they will kind of act and, you know, their key figures will act like they don't get on with each other, like they have nothing to do with each other. They deny each other. But when it comes to the crunch and there's something going on, they act as a unit, which is quite scary at times. 
I didn't think that it was going to be a case that we were going to have a far right here. We always had this kind of anti-imperialist rhetoric, even from Fine Gael or Fianna Foyle going down through the years. I never thought there'd be a place for them. You had the 2004 referendum. Uh, they have the direct provision. Like I, I would have thought that Fine Gael and Fianna Foyle were, you know, were doing a, quite a good job of keeping people out of the country. Like you know, could, yes, I, I totally, I totally agree with you on that. Like Michael McDowell was, a, was you know, I'm thinking back to like 2003, four, five. He was a hardcore. He was, he wasn't. I would not say he, he, he went as far as being far right, but he was certainly getting there a lot of the time in a lot of what he was saying and a lot of what he was doing. And I think actually a lot of this is down to the failure of the left. You know, the failure of the left, the left is quite healthy, I guess, in Dublin to an extent, but in rural areas, it just isn't. And it was an alternative narrative that was explained to people. It was giving people someone uh, to blame for the fact that they were not being well treated by the state over quite a long period of time, you know. Now, I don't think they're getting a huge amount of traction. They're not getting traction in elections, as we've seen already. But my fear, and it always has been my fear, and I find it very hard to get it through to dubs particularly, that these heads are succeeding to an extent in changing the mindset of people down the country. People will often say, oh, Gemma Darty, she's crazy, but she's right about a few things. You know, they, 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 in a way, the way that they've absolutely lathered the Irish social media in this racism and, you know, anti-immigrant stuff and anti anti-LGBTQ stuff, that's had an effect. They go about that in a, in a frighteningly organised way, I find. And I find, especially people who are, you know, intellectually engaged on Twitter, but not that don't know what what's happening where their grannies and their parents are on Facebook, kind of don't get that. On Facebook, their, their reach is very, very big indeed. And they're very, very diligent about using it. You know, like uh, one of the frightening things that we encountered along the way, and this was around the time of the issue in Ucarard, if you remember, the whole of Ucarard was up in arms, but again, about a direct provision center yeah. and potentially being put in the area. And we, uh, we uh, kind of wangled our way into this online uh, closed secret group on Facebook uh, that was being run by uh, a guy from who's now associated with the Irish Freedom Party, uh, he was styling himself as Conor McZorb at the time, but his name is Conor Rafferty. He's been an Irish Freedom Party candidate in elections. But he was organising a group of 200 people, and they were doing hardcore propaganda using Facebook. They were doing, they were focusing that propaganda on places like Ucarard when the issue came up there. But when they weren't doing it in Ucarard, they were focusing 200 activists, like giving them detailed instructions and focusing them on all the biggest Irish link Facebook pages. Yeah, and it was quite frightening to see. And I say that, you know, one Sunday independent person is the only person who ever took me seriously when I said this, but, you know, a lot of people go in and you're nuts, you know, saying they're, they were very powerful communications infrastructure. But at that time they did. They've had to go further underground because people were keeping tabs on them and, and so on. But they're very, they're, when, when, when they kick in online, they have, they have a lot of power and they have tactics. You saw that around the, the, the killing of the young man. Um, by the Guardian, yeah, yeah, they dominated that conversation online from nowhere, you know. Well, they did even after the reports came out saying that he had no criminal convictions, he had mental health issues, and all of that. There were still people 
going down that narrative that they'd put out, believed what they'd seen on Facebook, believed what they'd, uh, uh, the the first narrative. uh, And I think when you call people out on it too, it's kind of, they don't want to be embarrassed and go, well, I was wrong on that. Like there's a lot of people like that. So they'll stick in and doggedly argue what they first thought. And and I see that. That, that was, you know, but I'm saying for years they've been cranking out this fucking hate-mongering online. So, in other words, they've seeded the ground for people to, when when a very particular incident happens and it's kind of very heightened and it's in the media and blah, 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 those people are already kind of seeded with the point of view. You know, they're set up to, to swallow this shit yeah. by a constant kind of, low-level poison drip into the whole public conversation about everything. But you I, know? I do see as well, you've got the kind of, they're the more extreme elements of it, the National Party, but you have gripped media and other, there's kind of layers of it, like kind of McCurk is slightly bit more respectable than, than say, Justin Barrett. But, and then... Um, well, when it comes down to gripped media, like one interesting thing about gripped media is funded by Declan Ganley. Another interesting thing about Declan Ganley uh, is, he, is, is he got caught out uh, uh, trying to get uh, contracts without any uh, public uh, bidding on them in America directly from Trump. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't see, uh, to be honest, I don't see Gripped uh, as any different to the rest of the far right. In fact, one of their most successful presenters is a member of the Irish Freedom Party and has run as a candidate for the Irish Freedom Party. But give across that, you know, that they're kind of... Um how would you say, kind of semi-respectable, but they're all over the place as well. When you're going down through your news fleet, I get these, this is an article that may interest you, and no, it's not an an article that would interest me at all in the slightest, but it's there, it's in your face, and there's a lot of money, as you were saying, like Declan Ganley's, you know, quite wealthy man, and can... um, you got very well, and, and can fund this, you know, and it's quite well done. If you look at, uh, you know, the, the website and the, they have YouTube channel oh, and top it's of the range. That's taken from the American, uh, the American old right and the American far right. Like they have their outlets and they have very high production values. And for the unwary, it looks like you know, it looks like your average posh mainstream media a lot of the time, you know, yeah. and. Yeah, Gripped, I don't see Gripped as separate from the far right in Ireland. I see them as part of it. I see them as literally a tool to mainstream it, you know? Yeah, well, that's what they're trying to do is mainstream it. But the mainstream media itself, Mick Clifford wrote an article during the summer yeah. a couple of yeah. months ago about um, basically both sides, both, are as as both, both sides are as bad as each other. And, um, and there is that narrative within the mainstream media too that they don't see what's going on, even the, with the, what happened in the United States with the, you know, these three percenters and all these mad lunatics with their rifles and paint on them c- taking over the Capitol building and all of that. They still don't get it. You know, they don't get that uh, how that this could happen here. We, you've also, that, what's that other group as well? The, the, uh, what is it? It's um, Unreada or something, the, the Knights or something like that. There was a group there that they were looking into getting members that were in the defense forces and all that to join them they're, they're yeah. kind of a more underground i'd say they, they'd be kind of in telegram or one of those kind of, kind of yeah. more obtuse there's a lot of that there's a lot of that chatter goes on it it 
it reminded me that I added the, the, the overview of the groups that I gave you. The one I left out was the Yellow Vests with Glenn Miller. They're led by Glenn Miller and Ben Gilroy. And Ben Gilroy, interestingly enough, was on his video the other night advising anybody who could to get a gun to, just in case the guards called at their door about COVID-related uh, COVID related issues. And your man, uh, Rowan Croft, has said online maybe 18 months ago, he said, uh, guns are illegal in Ireland doesn't mean we don't have them. Uh, the National Party had that whole, you know, we're doing trading up the mountains, militaristic was on the go as well. So there is that kind of, you know, pseudo-militarism going on with them as well. Now, you started off there, Danny, with the media, and I, I, I suppose, yeah. um, like, uh, like I would have a background in doing media kind of work, and um, not as in working for mainstream media, but as in working on campaigns where you're trying to get stuff into the media and trying to, you know, uh, get your point of view out through the mainstream media. And um, what I found is the mainstream media kind of in shock there recently around the assault on a woman called Izzy Kamikaze outside the doll yes. at a fascist rally there that was, that was organized basically by the National Party. She got assaulted. And the media, for the first time, really, there was a wave of articles in the media um, about the far right in Ireland. And it was the first time there was a reasonably decent attempt by the Irish media to give people a heads up, look, this is going on. Now, I would have problems with a lot of the individual articles, but at least it happened. But I have to say, uh, that happened uh, after uh, after quite a few of us uh, have put massive effort into trying to fully inform the media about this phenomenon over, you know, the last two, two and a half years. Um, and it was, it, it, it is extremely difficult to get the media to cover this in a coherent way that actually arms communi communities with the information they need to understand what these people are when these people come along. I think it's actually the media in Ireland has been an absolute and utter disgrace about them generally, apart from the recent that recent wave of articles. I include RTE in, in that, who more or less made a promo video for them, calling them the new nationalists. And the, these fascists adopted it. They were like, that's a great name. We'll use that name. Oh, thank you, RTE. You know, it's, um, it, it has been an incredibly frustrating process trying to educate people about this when the media would not deal with it. And yeah. I still argue with the media. I say, why are you people not naming the people that you know you have the information that are at the heart of particularly the really extremely disturbing racist campaigns like around the young man who was killed by the guards in Dublin, like around uh, Hazel Chew, the mayor of Dublin, uh, and so on. Like, they'll barely name Jamo O'Doherty, but there are characters, and I'll name them now, a guy called Garod Murphy, um, a guy who used to go under the name of Chopper called Michael O'Keefe uh, from Waterford, a guy from South Roscommon called uh, Keith Woods. These are the key online guys, people, who are getting, you know, they're identifying the targets and marshalling the forces of all those anonymous patriot-looking accounts that will send you death threats one minute, abuse you, don't give a shit about anything change their identity, will keep the thing going, will express the most hateful, hateful stuff online and poison the online discourse 
around anything that fits into their agenda. And I, I think it's a disgrace that the media have not named those people because it is apparent to anyone who has been paying attention over the last two years who the key people are. Rowan Croft is another one. These are the militant racists. They, will, they won't cross a line because they're doing it under something near enough to their own identity, but they point out the targets and then the, then the shit comes along. And they are the ringleaders. They're the ones. They're the public faces of this phenomenon. I, I, and I cannot understand why the media do not let people know that. Well, I've talked to quite a lot of people in the media about this, and one of the things that they keep saying is, oh, everybody's entitled to their own opinion and, you know, all of this stuff about free speech and all of that. Um, Organ- organizing network harassment is, goes beyond free speech, in my opinion. Well, it, cu- it cuts down free speech. That's what it does. But that's what the, most of the, the mainstream journalists will say. But the Keith Woods, I found him, I only come across him about two weeks ago or something like that. He's kind of this kind of pseudo-intellectual, but you kind of listen to what he's saying and none of it makes any sense. Yeah, he's to give it an, oh, we're clever people buzzed, the whole thing. Though I'll tell you what, his real name is Keith O'Brien, by the way, uh, from South Roscommon. Uh, I'll tell you the picture that comes to my mind when I think of him is him holding up a placard with a noose on it outside the doll at what was, sickly enough, uh, called the March for Innocence, where the National Party went basically to call for the execution of a gay politician called Roderick O'Gorman from the Green Party. That's my pick. That's that's who that guy really is. National Party. If you look at what happened with with the storming of the Capitol building, they built a, a, a gallows, gallows yeah. outside. Side of, the far right hasn't really got to that yet. But as you were saying, within the last two years, it has really come on. It's like because I, I didn't think myself that. But next thing you're seeing the burning down of direct provision centres. People are being harassed online. And they're growing in number. But I wonder, too, the people that they rope into it, during the water charges here, the, there was a couple of, I would, you know, people with suspect politics um, yeah. that you kind of knew that, you know, that's a bit dodgy, like, you know. But uh, now you, those people that were in the water charges are now in this, these, in one shape or form, they're in that... Um, yeah, something that happened that I found after the water charges campaign is that there was a huge web presence, you remember, during the anti-water charges campaign. It was very effective and, you know, videos were being spread where John Bruton said, oh, they, these people leave Hollywood in the halfpenny place with their expensive mobile phones and so on, where what she was really upset about was the fact that people were making their own media and it was getting huge distribution and they couldn't control the narrative. Um, but and that was a lot of that was on Facebook. A lot of those places, the left kind of evacuated them after the water charges campaign was over, and then they, these heads uh, snuck in, took over, and their narratives on Facebook. You know, I remember the Greek referendum, and we were, it was all about Golden Dawn and all that, and there was no real kind of organised uh, fascist in yeah, I think no. that 2015 or that. And the way yeah. it, it just sprang up, like, it was like been asleep and next thing, oh, what the fuck is this like, you know? So, so I think, it, I think you know, yeah, there's probably a lot of basement dwellers ch- chipping in on the stuff online. But when it comes to actually a situation of, of going out in the streets in Dublin and having a rally, 
they'll try to drag loads of innocent people along, like those Irish Freedom Party rallies down to Customs House, like the National Party ones outside of the Dáil. But the, uh, the actual hardcore headbangers, there's only 150, 200 of them, I think. That's it. They've locked into the whole lockdown because people, businesses, they've worked there. They don't know what's going to happen next. And they've locked into the fear of that. And, and they're, yeah. you know, a lot of those people that went to that, that rally at, down at the customs, I would say most of them were just, you know, just pissed off with the whole lockdown thing. And I, like, yeah. who isn't pissed off with it? But they found their, their niche to, to grow out of that. And then the, there's the George Nikenko and the, they seem to latch on to some things very quickly. You know, there's, Oh, they're extremely opportunistic. They look out for anything uh, where where uh, anything that that suits the narratives that they want to put out, and they jump on it immediately. Like you can literally, you can't put a social media post up about a black person in this country having any kind of success about anything these days without these heads coming along in numbers. Yeah, um, racism, basically, you know. One of the speakers at the George Nkanko rally outside the Garda barracks, he was talking about having property and and that. But I seen this post online from one of those right wing nutters, and it was basically they were disgusted at this, like you know, how dare somebody come over here and want to own something? You know that that was the look at yeah. this. They're coming over here and they want to own stuff, like you know. I, I, yeah. With some people, they lock into that, all right. But I wonder though. How do we combat this, though? How do we combat the, uh, I suppose it's an online presence, but then again, during the, the shooting of George Kenko, the abuse you got online for saying anything, you know, saying, like, this is obviously wrong, I, I don't think that you, that people, guards should be shooting people on the street, you know, <laughs> regardless yeah. of who they are. And the abuse, that, and a, a lot of people just fell into that narrative straight away. How do you, yeah. how do we combat that? What's the best way going forward? I think there has to be a diverse diversity of tactics in trying to fight back against these people. I think the people, you know, I would be very aware of the networks that are kind of imposing them. They're quite loose networks a lot of the time. They're quite effective a lot of the time. Um, but I think the more the network that's opposing them grows, the, the more chance there is of them getting disheartened. Now, some of the things that I think are important as part of that diversity of tactics, I, I fully, uh, I fully respect. I'm, uh, uh, I'm pretty. I'm over fifty, so I'm not up for fighting with people on the street. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm, I'm fully appreciative of people uh, 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 who, in in a couple of instances, have gone out in numbers on the streets in Dublin to confront them. Uh, you know, under the banner of EFA anti-fascist action. Uh, that that has its place to stop them having uh, to stop them having street rallies and street meetings. Something that I've been involved in pretty much ever since January 2019 is um, in again in all these different little loose networks based around where, but stopping any of these groups having any meetings in any respectable premises anywhere in this country by uh, by informing communities and mobilising people in local communities. To, to get uh, to get the venue owners or the controllers of venues to shut them down, that's been very very successful. We're still at that. We shut down a Dolores Cal uh, meeting that was supposed to be happening in Dingle there on on Saturday, just gone. 
We shut down every attempt at Gemma O'Doherty outside of Dublin made to have a meeting uh, over uh, a two-year period. Um, we don't get involved in that kind of stuff in Dublin because we think there's enough people in Dublin uh, to be doing it. That has its role. There are lots and lots of people online who are constantly reporting racist shit that they come across online, reporting racist accounts. Uh, that has its place and, and that's important. There's a lot of people uh, working out information about who the real movers and shakers in terms of the real real online fascist headbanging are, you know, like I described, Grove Murphy and uh, your man Keith O'Brien the most common, uh, you know, uh, you know, showing people clearly who these people are and showing people what they're doing, you know, there's a role for that. There's a role for people pressing mainstream journalists to do a better job uh, uncovering uh, covering, uh, the phenomenon. Um, there's a role for people looking at the international links of these people because they have substantial international links. I think that knowledge is, that knowledge is power in this situation. It's no good me having the knowledge, though, and that's why I get frustrated with the media. I have an awful lot of knowledge about this. I have too much, you know what I mean, yeah. in a way. Uh, but the people who need that knowledge are communities. You know, communities need this knowledge because it's in communities, like where that shooting of the, the young man by the guards happened. That community, that, that they would have felt like they were hit by a 10-ton truck with all this online abuse. They didn't, you know, they may, they may not have known clearly who's orchestrating it, where it's coming from. The more people who know that stuff, the better. And I think there are connections all the time being built between people from different ethnic backgrounds in Dublin and the kind of left in Dublin. And that's helping as well, because the, you can see that, the, that, that some of the kind of more high-profile people from those communities are they're seeing what's going on very, very clearly. So, yeah, I think information, you know, good, hard information circulated as widely as possible and giving communities a heads up about these people is the thing that will keep them where they belong, which is under their rocks, you know, we're in their basement. Absolutely. Before we finish up, you've mentioned the, between the anti-fascists in Dublin and rural Ireland, the two different, well, it's it's harder to organise down here. Number one, especially during lockdown, that you've people yeah. that live yeah. miles and miles away. Is that getting across? Is, are people, there is, there is different ways you have to organise in the country, I suppose, opposed to the, yeah. the country, well, uh, to the cities as well. Is that Danny, I found, I found, I did a lot, I've done a lot of reaching out because I keep an eye on what they're at a lot of the time and a couple of people around me do the same. We keep a very close eye on what they're at to try to get ahead of them and try to, you know, head them off the pass and so on. We would have done a lot of literally me going on my Twitter account, heads up this thing, you know, for this reason, these heads are coming. And what I found in terms of, uh, and I don't mean just in my own area, you know, I've been this very fucking Cork, Galway, Sligo, here, there and everywhere, is there's always, there's always at least a small group of people who know what you're talking about and will suddenly get active about it. And it's great, like. I found that in the provinces, from the start of my involvement, and keep in mind this and being involved in it, I've always found it easier to organise in the provinces. I think for a long time, there was a reluctance on the part of the kind of left in Dublin and what you consider the general anti-fascist uh, side of things in Dublin. They didn't take it seriously. We were absolutely horrified when they let Gemma already have meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting on the streets outside Google. 
we could not get our heads around why the dubs were letting this happen because we knew it would grow and it did grow. But to them, it was a, it was just a bit of a joke, if you know what I mean. You know, yeah. like I used to say, say uh, jokingly when I'd be talking about people in Dublin, I'd say people in Dublin need to understand that these clashes aren't small. They're just far away. It's happening down the country now, but it's going to move to Dublin eventually, you know, which it has done, you know. Yeah, it, it has. It's progressed since 2016. It's progressed and progressed and progressed to where we have now. What was it? Ten thousand people. I think outside the customs house, massive rally. Now I know they weren't all fascists, but oh no, uh, and, and I, I, were, I would say a very small portion of them were fascists. Fascists organised that, but the fascists hid themselves behind a very innocent-sounding "Health Freedom Ireland" thing. But it was the fascists. Well, I'm not so sure how much good this whole pandemic, pandemic shit that Dolores Tahoe. She's a dangerous woman. She's going around promoting outrageous, you know, anti-public health measures used all over Europe, really, in the last uh, few months. But I don't think, I think they're not going to benefit from it here. Things have got, with the pandemic, have got far too serious in this country. And people, I think, are turning on these fuckers who were literally trying to start a movement against public health measures all around the country. They haven't succeeded in that. They were encouraging the yellow vests and all them. They were saying, oh, now it's time for you local people to get their big local gatherings going in towns and cities across the country. And none of it's worked out for them. It's a complete failure. And that was even before Christmas, before this much more serious situation we're in now. And, you know, it's before that situation arose. So I don't think they're being given any quarter at the moment. I think even the guards now are cracking down on them and have had enough of them, you know. It's about time they seem to let those gatherings go on in Dublin when outside the. Me, 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 and a bunch of my friends went to the noose rally, the the one where you know the march for innocence, where they were holding up the noose uh, banners and stuff. Uh, yeah, outside uh, the door. Yeah, we went to protest that. We brought a sound system. There were ten or twelve of us. Literally, as we were walking into the area of the doll, the guard said, "You know, they're going to beat the shit out of you." And we said, "Well, you know, we'll see what happens." And the guard said, we're not going to protect you from those people. And in full view, the guards, we had like a substantial amount of audio equipment smashed bits, several of our group assault. Guards uh, brought us away. When I tried to ring the cop shop in Dublin to make, to make a complaint about it, make a, you know, to make a statement about it, literally I tried multiple times and they did not ring me back. That's... So that was kind of. And, and, and it was worse around Ruski, I tell you, it was worse around Ruski. The guards have not been, uh, they, they were literally shamed into action through what happened to Izzy Kamikaze outside the door. It was the first time they, they took any action whatsoever against these people. And in that case, they, they arrested one guy when it was clear the guy was part of an organized, uh, security crew of fascists that attacked that one, Izzy Kamikaze. So they've done the absolute and utter minimum. I'll tell you why they're probably doing things now is because members of their force are getting ill from dealing with these people. They'd be out of the front line trying to... Yeah. And they're well, contacting the virus. And yeah, literally. Literally, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I don't know. Hopefully, I think also the, the, it's, it's yet to play out, but I think the American situation will have also straightened up a lot of uh, a lot of people who are, who are you know, giving out that... Uh, 
good people on both sides, bullshit, you know, like Mick Clifford and so on. That, that, what's happened in America in the last couple of weeks will have straightened up their ideas quite a lot, I think, because the connections are direct. The, the, the guy who kicked off the alt, what's called the alt right in America uh, is a guy called Richard Spencer. He's the guy yes, who's organized uh, the infamous, uh, uh, C. Kyle, uh, fucking thing in Charlottesville where the woman was killed. Heather, uh, Heather Meyer, I think her name was, yeah. as I recall. Uh, I'll show you how small this world is. The, a person who is in constant com- public conversation with that guy who appears in videos with him all the time, who's his acolyte, is called Keith O'Brien from South Ross Common. Right. Jesus. This is a very small world. The number, another one, to, to make, to get across how small this world is, is Dolores Cahill in September of last year held uh, held an event outside Facebook in Dublin that was a protest against Facebook censoring a, a woman doctor from America. I don't have her name right now, Danny, but uh, uh, you can probably dig this up quite quickly. Uh, a, a woman from the United States who was uh, who was part of an organised group of far right quacks who were uh, doing serious disinformation work in the United States at that time. Dolores Cal stood outside Facebook protesting this woman's Facebook page being shut down. That woman is now number 21 on the FBI most wanted list for, for events in D.C. Right. Okay. That's... Uh, but looking at fascism, I've done an interview with uh, Jovan Banerjee, uh, the president of the Federation of Students in India. Um, yeah. It's slightly different... But you see what they do when they get into power, Modi's government, the BJP government, where it becomes all about business, all about the profits of the big, big farmers, the big producers. And you yeah. can see see what happened with the. But it looks like there's a wake up call in the Western um, hemisphere, anyways, of of people to the far right. We've also we've got them here in Europe in yeah. Austria and so on. But it looks that like people have finally woken up. How do you see it progressing in the future, just to finish up anyways, in the next few minutes? Oh, I don't. I tend not to think about the future of it too much. I tend, tend to think about trying to do whatever you can do to keep them under the rocks at the moment, to be honest. And, and I, I, I am hoping that the, the media, where they actually started uh, trying to explain to their audiences, you know, the mainstream media here, I'm thinking about like the Irish Times, on the Independent, or, you know, the, the, the bigger newspapers, the Irish Examiner and so on. I'm hoping that they will cover this in a more uh, more informative, full-on, detailed way uh, in future, because I think that it, it, that needs to happen. And, and you know, your farmers thing years after bringing to mind that these, these crew uh, you remember the beef plan thing about the, the yes, small yes. farm up against the ranchers and up against Larry Goodman and all those? These crew had totally infiltrated that uh, small farmers during that and led them up the garden path with bad tactics and mania. Well, that doesn't bode you know, well for the it future. Was something, it was something else seeing, uh, seeing Rowan Croft and your man, the lunatic from Donegal, from the Shield and the Heron, uh, Niall McConnell, in among those farmers in Dublin. Yeah. Well, I, I, it'd be strange now because if Ronan or what you call him, your, uh, your man McConnell from Donegal, he has 
like actual fascists, like you know, that are blatantly out outspoken fascists, like say that they're um, the NWP and all of those crowd from over. He actually has them on his on his YouTube channel, like you know, blatantly. Oh what, yeah, he's connected with Jim Dowson. Jim Dowson. He's a notorious fund. He's he's a money man for the flower like the UK. That's who that guy is, and was behind the the flag protesters in Belfast as well. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, quite he's a, a nasty piece of work. But yeah, that's who. That's you know, and, and, and it's funny that both that group and uh, and the Irish Freedom Party like they're more British based than anything else, and they portray themselves as like Irish. Nearly, they nearly try to portray themselves as Republicans. To be honest, they're not. You know, they're they're hardcore ethno-nationalists, but they, they try to have that kind of, you know, Republican buzz with the with the with the colour parades and all that kind of stuff, you know, but especially the non McConnell slot. Yeah. But they're, they're, you know, they're fucking they're not they they've not you know, your man wherever he's from, Herman Kelly, is loyalty don't lie in this country. Not a chance. No, absolutely and then Rowan Croft used to be in the British Army. God knows who's giving him a few quick people going. God knows who's giving money to Jem O'Doherty. I suspect it's someone American. You know, these people, none of these people have the interests of people on this island's heart at all. At all. Absolutely not. Eamon, we're just going to have to leave it there, Anais, because we're out of time. Thanks very much. No problem, Danny. Now, I maintain that only under a socialist reorganisation of society can we even begin to deal with these basic material problems. Okay, Shanae. Thanks to our guests, Shavan Banerjee and Eamon Crudden. Music by Patrick Hopkins, Denise O'Toole produced. And if you want to get in contact, it's radio.revolulook at gmail.com. Go go boogie, snow go foil.